Holy God, we come here today thanking you that we can celebrate your word and that we can, you guide us into it with our minds and hearts so that we can relate to it exactly where we have lived and where we are. We ask you to bless this presentation today in Jesus' name that he may be lifted up and we may be edified. Amen. Oh, <laughs> Mordecai, I got caught with my hand in the sweet meat larder. <laughs> Would you believe that Elizabeth and Sarah are still back there? I thought they had gone long ago, but they're just leaving with their friends. They found out I wanted some more of those honey cake. Oh, just a minute. No, Elizabeth, you did very well. Thank you. <laughs> Mordecai and I just were talking about those honey cakes you baked. We wanted more of them. Oh no, you did very well. Thank you, dear. You two, you two ladies, go on. Take your friends and have a good time. Be blessed in the Lord. Great. <laughs> um, Mordecai, I cannot tell you how Sarah and I love having you here. I mean, Elizabeth. Sarah and Elizabeth have been the best of friends for years, and today they have a celebration together. And you and I, my friend, we too have a celebration. So long for us to sit down together and break bread and talk together. I am so happy you're here. Would you have some of my cakes? John brought us some honey back from the desert, and Elizabeth made these cakes for us all. Oh, I have two or three. Come, 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 come. You can eat more than that. Yes. <laughs> it's our day to be bad boys, right? <laughs> yes. Mm. You know, I was at the temple the other day, and I saw Caleb. He was working back in the background, helping the priest. 
beating them, I believe. And I looked at him and I thought, this is no place for Caleb. He should be out front. But it was his turn to draw that lot. So I watched him. And I want you to know, he reminded me of you when you were young. <laughs> Tell me, how is Vadya, your daughter? Is she doing well? Oh, yes, I know Simeon. I, I watched him as a boy. He was so good in Torah school. I, uh, I watched him, and I knew good things would come from him. And I believe he'll be a very good husband for your daughter. Are they enjoying settling there in their new village? That's wonderful. I'm not surprised. Oh, you want to know about John? <laughs> well, John has served his time in the temple, too. He's, I think maybe three times now he's been there. But you know, John doesn't seem to settle well there in the temple scene. Even though he's of the priesthood and of this tribe Abiah, he seems to be always unsettled about, uh, I hate to say it, all of that bloodletting. He said to me when he was just a little boy, he said, Papa, why is it that we have so much blood to forgive our sins? And I said, son, that's what God said to do. That's the only thing that could keep us going by faith in life and believing and trusting in Him that he would, he would receive that gift as a sacrifice of our own life because we had invested in that animal. We had raised that animal. We had tried to keep that animal clean and pure. And we brought it to the altar with the hope that God would accept that as a, a reflection of our investment of our lives. You know what? <laughs> that did not satisfy that boy. And he said to me, Father, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had one great perfect sacrifice? Say, a perfect man who came into the world and lived a sinless life. And then we could put our faith in him and he could be our sacrifice. I thought about that. I thought, this boy is either missing something or I'm missing something. So I began to study the Scriptures. And I noted he was on to something. Intuitively or otherwise, he began, he was thinking the right way. But God had said he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as I thought about it and searched the Scriptures, it seems to me as if John is right. There must be a perfect sacrifice for our sins. All this bloodletting is only temporary. Animals being slaughtered and bathing our hands and praying to God, which God told us to do, and for good reason, for our hearts need to be pure, and by faith we make them pure when we make sacrifice. But oh, how wonderful it would be if there would be a day when we could be done with all of that daily sacrifice and have one perfect sacrifice for our sins. Well, as time has gone on, John has thought about that a lot. And he has begun to develop in his heart a sense that God is saying something to him 
about that perfect sacrifice. Well, Anerate, as he grew older, he went to the temple, he became a priest, he performed his duties well, but still that seemed to be a disconnect from him and the temple. He began to spend more time in the Torah. He began to think more and talk more to the rabbis. And then he took on the heart and the habit of going down into the wilderness. He would spend long days down there. He would uh, be gone weeks at a time. He started out with a small lunch and a small meal. He would take into the wilderness and he would live on that little bit of food for a long time. Then, then he would come back after many long days and he'd say, Papa, I met the shepherds. They're teaching me things. They're showing me how to live in the wilderness. And I said, oh, my son, come, come. That cannot be so. You cannot live like a shepherd. You're a city boy. You were brought up for the temple. You were raised in Jerusalem. He said, no, Papa. I want you to know that I am learning to find my way in the wilderness. Did not our people find their way in the wilderness? Were not the Israelites baited to the wilderness? Were we not all put out there to live on the word of the Lord and the promise of God's presence in our lives? And I feel God has called me, even as a priestly lot, to live in the wilderness and to experience what it means to trust God. So that's what he's been doing. He's been doing that for a long time now. And as time has gone on, he has said to me, Papa, I feel my time for ministry is coming. My time to do what God has called me to do is emerging. And that is why, uh, my friend, I thought this weekend I would talk to you about something we put off for a long time. Yes, you've got it right. I remember that promise I made to you. That promise that I would tell you what happened to me when John was born long ago. So many years now, I cannot believe it. Your son Caleb is grown. Batya's come. My son is grown. And it seems as if a new day is being born. So, I will tell you. I will tell you what happened. But you must promise me one thing. You will not tell this to anyone else until John's ministry emerges. I trust you. That is why I'm telling you this. You can wait. And if you wait, you will see what I am going to see, that God is doing something new in the world. Well, it all started, let's see how many years ago, 20 maybe. It was my time to serve in the temple. Did you know, I'm in the section of Abaya, and we are just before Pentecost. 
And that's important in the story, because my story would be remembered more if it were not for the fact that it was at Pentecost. Because we go into the temple just before Pentecost, and with our service, there's an opening. All the priests of Israel come together at once. One of the few times, you know. 20,000 of us emerge on Jerusalem. You've seen it. You've been in it. You know how much confusion there is. 20,000 of us. But my time came at this auspicious time this year to be called into the priest's chamber and to observe the casting of lots. I have never had this happen before. Very few of us, you know, ever get this opportunity. And the casting of lots, I was so surprised that I was selected to go to the altar of incense in the holy place and offer to God the offering of prayer of the people and of incense. It might be a sweet smell to his nose, our prayers which are so tainted with sin. So I came my day to go into the altar of incense. The priest parted the way for me to go into the Holy of Holies, and I went up before the holy place. There at the altar of incense, just me and the quietness of that space, the lights of the candelabra in the back and the table of showbread and me and hopefully God. I'll never forget it. I took the incense and perhaps in my enthusiasm I gathered too much of it, but I sprinkled it all over the altar of incense and suddenly there was a smoke rising Heavy, dense smoke, and I jumped back because it flared up. I was almost blinded, and I thought, oh, no, I'm setting the place on fire. But it was not so. When I smoke cleared, I realized I was no longer alone. There was a man there. What is he doing here, I thought. And then I realized it was not a man. There was brightness about him. There was illumination from him. There was a sense of peace about him. And... I said, who are you? And he spoke to me. He began to speak to me that my wife, Elizabeth, would bear me a son. Can you believe that? Bear us children? My friend Mordecai, you know, we have wanted a child so long, so very long. Elizabeth felt cursed. She felt neglected. Maybe she did not please God, and we know well she pleased God. And I wondered, too, if there would be any offspring to carry on our destiny. And God was speaking to us through that man, that messenger whom I later learned was an angel of God, sent by God and appearing, for he told me his name was Gabriel. And he spoke to me. He told me, that Elizabeth would give birth. She would give birth to a boy, that he would grow up in the fear of God, that the Spirit of God would be on him for all of his life, that he would emerge as a great man and bring much joy not only to Elizabeth and I, but to all the people, and he would bring a message to us all that was important 
time. Over time, I understood what he was saying. He was going to bring the message of the much-desired Messiah who would come to save us from our sins. So that is why John had this thing in his heart. That is why John was always restless with the temple sacrifice, for he knew a new day is coming. Mark my words, that new day will hit us like an earthquake. It will come and rent the heavens, the curtains of holiness that separate the holy from the natural will be torn apart, and God's presence will be among us all, always, and in our hearts. John was beginning to be born. I knew little of what he said, but this is what happened to him. Five months, Elizabeth, she was at home in seclusion. She dared not go out into the public place because she did not know how to handle the questions people had about her as she grew with child. But something else needed to happen. And I found out later that she was waiting for God to give her the go-ahead, to go out in public. And it came right after Mary appeared. And when Mary from Nazareth came here, Elizabeth said the child in her womb seemed to be dancing in her belly. And Mary and she confided that they both had been blessed by a visitation of God. Mary had been visited by the same angel that came to me. His name was Gabriel. For he said, I stand in the presence of God. Well, I didn't tell you something. Something that was well forgotten. When I came out of the holy place at the temple, I went out before the public. I had been there a long time. People wondered what happened to me. Something significant? Did I die in there? What happened? Why, why isn't he Zechariah coming out? And I stepped out into the light so bright. I saw all the people crowding up close to find out what God may have done or said if I had a vision or anything of that kind. And I was standing there speechless. You know why? Because when the angel told me that a son would be born to me. I said, how shall I know this? How can this be? For I am an old man and my wife is old. And the messenger said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And because you have questioned, you will not speak a word till these things come to pass. Would you believe my tongue was glued to the roof of my mouth for many months. I could not talk to anyone. I couldn't even ask for a glass of water. There was nothing I could say. I had to write everything down. I had to make signs. Elizabeth took care of me, very good care. She always has. But I was speechless for the first time in my life. Speechless. Well... It remained that way for a long time. When the time came for John's Brit Milah, 
is circumcision. I was sitting there in my home, and all of these people were coming in, crowd of people. Everybody knew uh, that we knew, came up our street and into our home. We were crowded back. I could hardly move. And the question was asked by the rabbi, what shall we name this child? And Elizabeth said, that what the angel said she should say, his name is John. Well, you know, our rabbi is not ready to take the name or the word of a woman very easily. <laughs> he wanted to know why John there are no Johns in your family. There's no history we know of of a John. Why do you want to call him John? I'll tell you very frankly, I did not like the attitude of the rabbi. But my wife is a godly woman. You know that. And if she says his name is John, she has done it with great decorum. So they came to me. They were sticking things in my face. What, what is his name? What is his name? And I was making signs, you know, trying to tell them his name. I was speaking with my mouth. I couldn't get anything out. So they brought me a tablet. And I began to write. His name is John. And do you know what happened? The moment I wrote that on paper, my mouth opened up, and I shouted, His name is John! The whole place was shocked. It seemed as if some of them wanted to run. But such force came out of me. And then, you know what? I began to sing. Of all things, I, you have never heard me sing in my life. I've never been able to sing. There was song in my heart, but never on my lips. Because I have no gift for that. But I sang and I sang and I sang in prophecy as if prophecy were pouring through me. And then after I had sang great praises to God, I began to prophesy over my own son. And I wrote that down. I fixed that in my heart. Someone else took my words for song and wrote it too later. But I said this, prophesying over the baby. And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for Him, to give His people a knowledge of His salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun shall come to us from heaven and to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Yes, I prophesied. Never prophesied to this day. I have had many inspirational thoughts, but no prophecies that flowed like that. And I understand what it is now to experience inspiration.
to have one's heart so full they could no longer be silent. And I have come to understand, too, how John now, when he speaks, he has that grace, that river flow in his heart, that fluidity, that verbosity to speak for the Lord in prophecy. Well, you understand there's no boast in what I tell you. It's only truth. No boast, because I have nothing to do with this any more than you or anyone has to do with the gifts of God. They're gifts of God. We're conduits. We're means of bringing grace, of showing the light, of letting go the river of God. So I am not boasting, but I am deeply humbled that God would use such as me and you and Elizabeth and Sarah, any one of us. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, my friend. I get carried away. Why don't we go outside? Why don't we go outside and sit under our vines and our fig tree and discuss things that are lighter inquire of one another deeper things, and just enjoy that friendship we have always enjoyed. I really think much of you, my brother. You're a great friend. One last word. <laughs> just like you to try me. What did I learn from that experience? I tell you, it's quite simple, my brother. What I learned was this. When God speaks, you don't ask questions. <laughs> See to it that you do not refuse him who speaketh. <laughs>